as being a, a, a body that have come through, which, which is amazing. So thank you, Lord, for that. Um, the passage that I'm going to bring today is Acts 2, 42 to 47. So if you'd like to turn to that in your Bibles, I'm going to read it. But this is really, this picture tells us, this gives us a picture of um, what the early church was like. And it gives us a pattern for what it means to be church. So if you want to see what a church looks like, it's not a building with a spire and a, you know, a, a tower and all that kind of stuff. This is the picture of what a church should look like. And so, 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 so Acts 2, 42 uh, to 47. So, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing proceeds to, to all as they any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So this is a picture of, of what the early church was like. It starts, this passage starts with the word and, which suggests that what happened before it was important. So I want us to just think back to what Keith was preaching on last week, so um, over the, the preceding weeks that we've had. So we've had the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and the, the, sort of the, the believers are there, and then the non-believers go, oh, what was that? What was all that about? They didn't understand it. They thought everybody was drunk. So Peter comes along, and he has his explanatory sermon where he explains what has happened. Explains that this is a fulfillment of the, prophet, uh, the prophecy that Joel had, and then he explains who Jesus was um, and what Jesus has done. And the people um, are cut to the heart, and they say, "What should we do?" And they say, uh, "He says, repent and be baptized." So after that's happened, this is what they do. So having had that experience, these people then do this. So they devoted themselves. It says to. The, the activities that I'm going to talk through one by one. So they weren't half-hearted. They were fully invested in what they were doing. And that's a mark of a true believer. So they were really, yeah, they really went all in to this. So what caused that? What was going on? And I'd also like to pick up that it's a repetition of what it says in Act 1.14, which, as Keith preached on, there was an expectancy where, where Jesus had told them to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. So what did they do while they were waiting? All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So they, they, they knew to devote themselves to prayer and to wait. And then after the outpouring, they do that again. So again, it echoes what the writer of Hebrews said later in the letter that he writes to the church, saying, he exhorts the church to not neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all, the, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So that's Hebrews 10 25. So again, there's this, this idea that we must meet together as a church and take part in these activities. So, what are these things? I'm going to go through them. So it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So the apostles were teaching what they, what Jesus had taught and revealed to them. The New Testament, remember, hasn't been written yet. So it's, in, it's um, important that we understand that, because sometimes it's difficult to get your head around that. But all of the, the, new, the new Testament, so when um, in, in the New Testament they refer to scripture, 
literature, referring to what we now call the Old Testament. Um, so we can look at New Testament scriptures because they were written by these guys and apostles that are in the book of Acts. So it still applies even though it's not been written yet because it's been given to them by God. So we know from the, from the apostles that followed that the apostles knew the importance of sound doctrine and teaching. And in fact, the word teaching occurs 12 times after this point in the book of Acts. So in the book of Acts, teaching is a lot of what they were doing. They were going around the place teaching people what Jesus had taught them. Paul is very, very concerned throughout his writings that what he has been taught and what he has to bring, the gospel and everything that Jesus taught, taught, has taught, is really important. And it appears many, many times. So for example, in Romans 6, 16, 17, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. So he's very, very concerned to, to keep to the teaching that there is. Um, so avoiding division. So avoiding division is one thing. In Colossians 1.28, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So there's something about the teaching of, of, of Jesus that, is, that matures us, that gives us wisdom. So it, again, that was very important. And later in Colossians, in Colossians 3.16, the famous verse, let the word of Christ dwell in richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing harms and sins and spiritual songs with thankfulness to, in your hearts to God. And then in the, in the second letter to Timothy, and in, in Paul in his letters to Timothy is like, like a senior pastor advising a junior pastor. And one of the things that he, he, he reminds him is, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproving, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So that's how important it is. The Bible is God's very word to us. And it is everything we need. As we've been saying this morning, it is everything we need to keep us on the right track. Paul also gets very, very cross, and some of the parts of things that he gets most cross about and when he, he writes to various churches and various people is that when people start messing around with the word of God and teaching things that they shouldn't be teaching. So I mean, to use a sort of mid-Cheshire phrase as we've got, the, we've got the, the career guys with us, he gets his hair off at, um, at Titus. That's a phrase that I've only ever heard in the Cheshire area. Helen was mentioning it, and as I was, as I was reading this Helen, what came into my head was, oh, I was really getting his hair off of Titus in this, so I thought I'd put that in. So there's a real sense of um, him getting really, really cross about some people coming in and not teaching sound doctrine. So in Titus 1.9 he says, we must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that it may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also rebuke those who contradict it. We need, if people are coming in and saying things that are a bit odd, you think, well, that's a bit odd. I'm not really sure what I think about that. That's often the spirit that's in you, giving you a bit of a check and going, I don't, uh, that, that doesn't sit right. But actually, that's just the first step. Because we can't be absolutely sure that that's the case until we then take it to the word. So take it back to the word. So if somebody gives you a check, you think, that's a bit odd. I'm not really sure about that. Take it to the word. That's what they're saying. And you know, he goes on in, in that chapter to be saying, they, the false teachers, must be silent since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. 
Submitter, but as for you, Titus, teach what calls with sound doctrine. And it's not that Paul is not the only apostle who is, who is bothered and concerned about the right teaching of the word. John, in, in, in his second letter, says in, in, in um, chapter 1, verse 9, everyone who goes ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Every, whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. And then on in verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any, any greeting. So that, that there is a really strong sense from all the apostles that what was taught, what Jesus had given to them, was of vital importance. And again, back in Hebrews chapter 4.12, again a very famous verse, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And we know that Jesus also knew that, that his Father's word was so important. This is, it, it, it's interesting to me, and um, you know, I, I love the fact that in Mark 12, 30, he said, you know, what, in, in talking about what was the greatest commandment, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. So comprehending what the Word of God says in our, in our minds is, is really important. It's important that it goes down into our heart and it changes us. We've got to know what it is before we can do that. And I listened to a, a sermon on this passage by Alistair Begg, and there was one phrase in that that really jumped out at me. And what he said was this, the Spirit of God, so when the Spirit of God comes, in, in, you know, as it's just come in Acts, compels the people of God, us, to submit to the word of God. So there is a, there is a compulsion there that we, want, that, that we know is, is there, okay. The second part, the second activity that is um, mentioned in, the, in, this, um, in this passage is fellowship. And it's an important thing, and so having read around this and having read about what was going on at the time of the early church, is there were lots of pagan gods around, lots of, lots of gods that were not of God, we're not our God. Um, and they often emphasised individualism and the individual relationship between the, the deity, in inverted commas, because it wasn't the deity, but you know, the idol and the, the worshipper. And so there's a big distinction in the church because the church is all about fellowship. The church is all about being together. You know, together we have the mind of Christ. Together we are we, we are a reflection of Him. So, um, and this is another um, you know, aspect that John was very um, concerned about. So, in one John one two to four, he says the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so the joy may be complete. When we fellowship together, when we are together, that is a picture of the Trinity. God is a fellowship. He has three persons that fellowship and communicate with each other. So when we are together, we are reflecting that. That's really important. Um, also, 
fracting back on what I preached on last time when we were in, I preached when we were in Galatians 2, there is a bit in that, and I actually preached quite a bit there about the importance of the word and keeping to the word. But um, Paul points out in that letter to the Galatians, he said, when James and, and Cephas, which is Peter, and John, who seem to be pillars, received the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that, that they, we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So when the apostles that had actually been with Jesus at the time that Jesus was on the earth, saw and talked to Paul, they knew that Paul was a real deal and that he'd been with Jesus and that his message was, was the authentic one. So our fellowship with each other also helps us all keep on the right track because we know that by talking and fellowshipping with each other, we can go back. It is quite common to go off on one if you're going to go off on one and stray from what the Lord actually has if you're on your own. That is why God wanted us to be together. That is why it's so important in this passage that, that, that Luke is pointing out to us in his description that they did everything together. So, so important. And it's just been so lovely to see the togetherness and one accord that we have with each other this morning with the things that have come through. It's really, really encouraging. And it said, again, if we think back, that this was what was at the heart of what Jesus wanted. So in his famous prayer in John 17, I'm going to read verses 20 to 23. I do not ask, so he's talking to the Father in this prayer, I do not ask for these, these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So that's us. So he's not just talking about the disciples he got with us. He's talking about those that will come later, so us. Um, that they would they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may also be in us, so that the world, world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, and I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you love me. The way we behave with each other, and the way we are together as a body, is a, is a witness to the world. So the way we are, and the way that, that, that things happen, is a picture of what Jesus is like. So it's, it's so important that we come together as a body to do that. It then goes on, this passage, having talked about fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. So it says in the commentaries that I've read that the breaking of bread could refer to just eating together, but it probably also means communion. Communion is a bit of a mysterious thing. It's a bit of, in, in many ways, it appears to be a strange thing that, that, that Jesus asked us to do when, you know, at the Last Supper, he broke bread and took the wine and said, do this in remembrance of me. It picked up in one of the, the, the Bibles that I was using to study that in Luke, it picks up and remembers the story in Luke 24, when two men met the resurrected Jesus on the Emmaus Road, and he's walking along with them, and he, he starts to explain to them, he asks them what's been happening, and they don't recognise him, they don't realise it's Jesus, and they're explaining what has happened to this person that they've been following, and you know, he's been crucified, and it's all bad, and you know, we're not really sure what's going on. And it's only when they come down and sit and fellowship with him, and he takes the bread and he breaks it, that their eyes are open, and they realise that it's Jesus. So there is something really powerful about 
about taking part in communion that I think I don't really get. There's a, a lot about it that's quite mysterious, and, and sometimes when I take communion, I don't think that it, it, it doesn't feel like it's doing anything particularly amazing. But I think it is. There's something in that that is a, it's something that Jesus asked us to do, but it's a way that we're very, very specially having fellowship with him. So it's important, as we do every, every two weeks, we do that as a church. So, yeah, so yeah, definitely that is important. Um, and then it then moves on to talking about prayers. And quite a lot about prayers come through me. Emily came up and prayed very powerfully um, in the time of worship. Prayer is massively important. Again, the commentaries that I read said that because it says the prayers, they devoted themselves breaking bread on the prayers, it could mean the standard prayers that were read out in the temple every day. So they may have come and taken part in that, as in take, because they were still taking part in the Jewish part of their religion. But it's also clear that Jesus cared about prayer. He talks about, he does prayer, he talks about prayer. He's engaged in prayer many, many times. I started to try to count it, and then I gave up because there were so many times he was doing it. And he talked about prayer many times. He said, he says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And pray, and, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not heap up empty praises as the Gentiles do, for they, will, they think that they will be heard for their many words. And then he, he, he prays the, um, um, the, you know, the Lord's prayer that he, that he taught to the disciples. And I think that what I'm, I'm saying there is, is, is prayer is a heart matter. What he's concerned about is our hearts. He's concerned about us wanting to come before him in prayer and communicate with him. So what I'm getting, I'm getting very strongly for him in um, taking me to those scriptures, that he wants us to come back to a personal devotion in life. So I think this, you know, what I'm getting from those, those, those verses is, is the idea that we need to come back to getting into the word for ourselves, fellowshipping together, which sometimes gets neglected as a spiritual discipline, but it absolutely is. It's why it actually comes before prayer in the list. It's really important that we, we, we do stuff together in the Lord with each other. So important. It just builds our faith and keeps us together so much. And then praying. And, the, and God had been talking to me and getting on my case about getting back into the spiritual disciplines. Particularly since I've moved from being part-time in my work to being full-time, quite a lot of my time with the Lord was getting squashed out because I hadn't really thought about it. I just got into work and was doing all my work thing. And he's been saying to me, you need to come back and have a daily time with me. And I went, okay. And then I was also worrying about this, this preach I had to do and I wasn't really sure where God was talking it and what I wanted to do about it. And then I got this book um, um, called Habits of Grace, which by David Mathers, which is was available free on, on a website that I, I go on quite frequently. And I read it, and in the introduction, it uses Acts 242 as a pattern for um, personal devotions. And I went, oh, that and that come together. Okay, that, that's what we're doing. So when you, you were talking to me about that, Lord, you were actually talking to me about it. Right, okay. So, yeah, that is, that is it's, it's funny how God does that sometimes. So 
actually God is talking to you about one thing and you think he's silent on another thing and actually it's the same thing. So yeah, there's, there's definitely, the Puritans called the spiritual disciplines, so the Puritans were people that sort of lived in after the Reformation of the church and kind of the early um, Protestant believers. Um, who really valued the Bible and prayer and the spiritual disciplines, and they called them means of grace. So, you know, God's grace to us in sending Jesus and Jesus dying on the cross um, for our sins and us repenting and being forgiven, and then Him sanctifying us and by grace and making us more like Him. These ways of God can do that to anybody, and he can bless and do what he likes to any person at any time, he's God, he can do what he likes. But history shows us, and our personal experience shows us, that if we put ourselves in the path of grace, in these, these things that he's given us to do and that he's taught us to do, then that is often where he's going to bless us and we're going to feel that blessing. We were talking as I've led a bit of a Bible study at our house group this week, and we talked about getting yourself under the tap. So it's like a flow, if you think, or under a waterfall, I guess, of, of God's grace. And you kind of, if, if you're kind of over there in the dry and you're not reading your Bible and you're not praying, you're thinking, I'm not getting very wet, am I? I'm not getting very full of God's spirit. I, I feel cranky and I don't, you know, I'm, I'm getting, I don't really want to. Fellowship, I don't really want to read the Bible, I don't really, and, and the best way to want to read your Bible is to read it. So <laughs> <laughs> you don't really want to read, read the Bible, I don't really want to pray, but actually if you start, and you actually make a habit of it, then suddenly you start to want to do it. Kind of, I've started doing it again, and I'm now getting out of bed and thinking, oh good, it's Bible time, I can get out, and I can actually then get into the Word, getting into Colossians at the moment. And it's really, I've read that, I've read it lots of times, but I'm reading it again and the Holy Spirit is lighting up different bits of it as I'm doing that. So it's, it's really important that. And, but, yeah, yeah, okay. So I've been talking for a while and I'm only on verse one. That's what I'm going to say. But I think the point is, you get to verse 43, and this is what, the, what I felt the Holy Spirit was jumping out at me, is that the first phrase in 43 is, and, and all came upon every soul, and many more wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So when the church, when these, this group of believers did those things, they devoted themselves to the, to the study of scriptures and to the, the apostles' teaching, because you know, the, the, the teaching of Jesus hadn't been written down yet, so they had to actually get it straight from the apostles. Um, and prayers and the breaking of bread, all came upon every soul. So all meaning, they were completely blown away by Jesus and by, by God and who he was. And it can be translated in fear. So they had a fear of God. They had a right understanding of who God was. And then what's really key is that then the signs and the wonders were, were, were being done. So it happens in that order. And then it says, and all of the believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing proceeds to, to the poor and attending temple together, breaking bread together. So there was an outpouring. And I can see echoes in what was happening. Um, I can get off my notes are out of the order. Where are we? There we go. There we are. So you've got 
the fruit of the Spirit, I think. So you've got, you've got in that passage, you've got generosity, unity, worship, gladness, joy, a lack of selfishness, favour from others. So other people, when, yeah, because these are, these are Christians, they are doing things that they shouldn't be doing. They, they're moving away from the Jews. So people should hate them. People should think they're strange. But it actually says they have favour with all the people. So people were going, oh, we'll help them out. We like those people. There was, there was a supernatural kind of favour. And when you kind of in and you, you spend time with the Lord, it changes who you are. I have people at work who go, you're in a good mood. Or, you know, the thing ever seems to bother you. You see, which, which is really weird because loads of things bother me. I'm actually a really, really bothered person sometimes. But sometimes what God allows me to see of me is somebody who is serene and calm. And you know, I have one friend who's Catholic, who goes to church a lot, goes to Mass every week. But she's starting to realise that I have a different relationship with Jesus than she has. And she wants to know what that is. So when she comes to see me, she talks to me and goes, you, 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 what you have is different from what I have. And I want to know what you have. And that is really, and, then, and as we're having more and more conversations, I'm able to tell her about Jesus and who Jesus really is. That's an amazing thing to be able to do. But all of that sort of fruit, so there's echoes of the fruit of the Spirit, so when it says it in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So that fruit came out of their devotion to the spiritual disciplines. That's how it happened. And I'll tell you one thing that, that when I read this passage, when I was first given this passage, the verse that scared me, that I didn't like, was having all things in common and fellowshipping together and putting all, all things together. I was, um, I sometimes um, watch the TV programmes of Beth Moore, I quite like Beth Moore. And one of the things that she said that made me laugh because I identified with it is she was talking about hospitality and she said, at home I have a welcome mat, but I don't mean it. <laughs> and I, you know, I don't actually, I am, I'm single, many of you will know I'm single, my personal space extends to a whole house. I don't like people messing with my life. I, I have quite a solitary life. I like things being in a certain order. And I feel a check and a conviction in my spirit when I read about how the early church lived, because I would hate that. <laughs> I would really, really hate it if I had to live communally. I don't have I don't want missions and I have to steal myself to do it. And I think what God is showing me through what I've studied for this passage, for this, for this preach, is that I, if I try and force myself to like people, and I try and force myself to change my character in this aspect, because there's a lot about it that is selfish. There's a lot about it that is not right. I like having my own way. It's me. I want to do what I want to do. That is not godly at all. But I know that the way to change that is to get into my Bible and sit under the Word and study the Word to get the sort of head knowledge of what he has to say about topics like hospitality, but also to let him through his spirit change my heart. And through prayer and through fellowshipping with you guys, he'll change my heart. 
And that is how it works. So we mustn't chase after the things that are in the second part of that passage. They come through the things that are in verse 42. Through Bible, through and, and listening to preachers, and just getting into the word in a variety of ways, through fellowship, through breaking bread and communion, and through prayers. And I think that's what I've got to bring. So that's it.